0: ladies and gentlemen you are approaching the boardroom presented by the honda classic on espn 1063 and the free espn app for the next hour ken levick is your guide for a behind the scenes look at the business of sports now let's be quiet as we enter the boardroom take it away ken
1: there is a japanese champion at the Masters, what does this mean for golf, even if the direct ramifications aren't obvious here in the States? We'll talk about that an awful lot more on the only sports business radio show in the state of Florida. The Boardroom, presented by the Honda Classic. I am Ken Lavica and Rick Haro, the sports professor, with me as well, as he is every single Wednesday night, ESPN 106.3, free ESPN app, and on your smart speaker, coming to you, from the Phillips Point ESPN West Palm Studios downtown West Palm Beach, Rick Haro, the sports professor, is on Twitter at Rick Haro. He's the author of the book, The Sports Business Handbook. You get that wherever books are sold, mascotbooks.com. And his empire also includes Reuters and nationally syndicated radio across the country. Rick, happy Postmasters to you, sir.
0: Postmasters is great. It's almost as good as real masters. And you know, you talk about all of this, and it know, you know, you know it's spring. All of us golfers unite. This is a time where we can kind of celebrate the comeback. The comeback wasn't complete. There were a smaller number of patrons, obviously. And when you think about it, however, it is good to see patrons at the Masters. And that's a really important issue as well.
1: Yep, without question. And so we'll have the 15 and 15 with Rick Harrow, the 15 biggest sports business stories of the week, and Rick breaks them down in 15 minutes' time. Uh, Also, uh, we are going to go to the polo side of things. Luis Escobar. We'll sit down with uh, Rick Harrow later on in the show. U.S. Open Polo Championship is upcoming. And, of course, uh, here in Palm Beach County, where we are originating this from, and especially in Wellington, this is the polo capital of the world. But let's talk about worldly things, and let's talk about an international champion at the Masters, Hideki Matsuyama, uh, the first Japanese champion of the Masters, and someone who, and I think it was detailed very well by CBS throughout the weekend, how significant Hideki Matsuyama was to the nation, to Japan, how much pressure is put on him, how golf-crazed Japan is, Uh, and for Matsuyama to win the green jacket, to be able to take that back to his home country it is so unbelievably significant and I've got to think the timing is perfect because the PGA Tour for the last several years has really tried to make inroads and used Tiger Woods to try and make inroads into Japan this feels like a huge win and the people in golf are really pleased with how this transpired
0: absolutely and it gets bigger every day and so you know Naomi Osaka when she became the first uh, and best tennis player in the world, and uh, she became a big icon in Japan more than she could have fathomed, and this is different. Uh, You know, Naomi Osaka um, speaks English, has a large relationship with American corporations and will continue her global brand. Hideki Matsuyama does not uh, converse fluently in English, and as a result, might have some opportunities limited but make no mistake the number of media that was there and the revolutionary uh, evolution after let's say you know what Adam Scott did in Australia relative to the Australian uh, following and the masters it it is truly an international event it stays in the same place every year as we know and and uh, he has cemented himself as a as a hero and will continue to and can you imagine the pressure I mean, for us, you know, when we have six-foot putts, uh, I just take them, and, you know, you have an opportunity to miss them. But <laughs> think of what happens with a six-foot putt where the entire legacy of Japan hangs in the balance. Uh, you can't you can't imagine the pressure.
1: No, you really can't. And so, again, Hideki Matsuyama, and what I got a kick out of, Rick, and this is, by all accounts, just a total testament to the man. I love the social media pictures of random people at Atlanta-Hartsfield-Jackson Airport on Monday morning taking photos of Matsuyama just sitting in the terminal waiting for his flight to Chicago then on to Japan where he's got the green jacket flung over a seat and he's flying commercial he just won the Masters the guy has the green jacket uh over his forearm and he's flying commercial back to Japan that truly is incredible
0: yeah that's the hey don't get used to that that this may be the last <laughs> commercial flight the guy ever takes, right just so you know so yeah. so he deserves everything that he gets by all accounts he's humble uh, he is genuine And it's very important
1: The NFL draft is upcoming, and it is the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic here on ESPN 106.3. He's the sports professor, Rick Harrow. I'm Ken Levicka, and uh, we are just a couple of uh, weeks away from the festivities going to Cleveland. And uh, Sports Talk Radio, my world on a daily basis, is just completely inundated with draft talk. What are the Dolphins going to do at six? What do the mock drafts say? Who are the 49ers going to pick? Who are the Jets going to take at quarterback? Uh, It is all draft draft all the time it truly has to amaze you and you've been doing this for a long time just how big a juggernaut forget the nfl and i suppose that's part of the discussion but how big a juggernaut the draft has become well listen
0: destination cleveland spends about a quarter of a million dollars to promote the uh uh, event live between the rock and roll hall of fame and 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 uh the uh uh first energy field There are issues about how to generate some business off of that media-wise. So Destination Cleveland is running ads in Columbus and Philly, Atlanta, New York, Nashville, D.C., Denver, Seattle, otherwise. But don't be uh, mistaken. This is a big branding opportunity for the city of Cleveland. You know, years ago, it's a mistake by the lake. It's no longer even uh, people talk about that. This is progress at a great level, at a high level, and will continue to get better. So, You know, good for the draft and good for Cleveland.
1: Uh, I want to finish uh, our first couple of minutes with this because uh, the Mavericks had some things to say last night, and in particular, owner Mark Cuban and star Luka Doncic uh, about the uh, uh, NBA play-in tournament, which uh, pits the 7, 8, 9, 10 seeds against one another to determine the final seed, and then that fills out uh, who the top eight from each conference are uh, are going to be. This was unveiled last year in the Orlando bubble both saying though this is a bad idea this just doesn't make sense this shouldn't continue what are your thoughts just from a pure business standpoint on the nba bringing this play-in tournament into a second year and uh, i suppose trying to make this a permanent staple of the nba season
0: Well, let mark cuban go play in the other nba across the street oh There is no other NBA, so I guess he's got no choice. And the other thing, too, is, look, we all learn from issues that spark a considerable amount of interest and borrow from them. I'm sure there are a lot of people talking about the play-in games of the NCAA and how that never worked, and now it's an incredibly popular institution. And so the worst case is you've established excitement in any number of cities that traditionally were not part of the excitement and now you know why not I guess is the answer if you're good enough you're going to survive and thrive from that there will be an advantage for teams that get higher seeds; they don't play those days so suck it up and win
1: Without question, and uh, I think that's probably going to be what uh, Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, uh, ends up responding with uh, in probably because he seems like a very nice guy, more uh, subtle terms. It is The Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic here on ESPN 106.3 when we return the world-famous 15 in 15. At least that's what we tell ourselves. Rick Harrow, the 15 biggest sports business stories, and he covers them, educates you, teaches you all about them, and informs you in just 15 minutes it's time and then we talk some polo the US Open Polo Championship Luis Escobar and family he sits down with Rick Harrow later on in the program. I'm Ken Levicka. He is Rick Haro. It's the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 106.3. It's everybody's favorite little sports business radio show, the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, ESPN 106.3. Wednesday night tradition here in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. And, of course, we're streaming on the free ESPN app and on your smart speaker. Back for another couple of minutes with Rick Haro, the sports professor. And, again, a reminder, the sports business handbook, that is... Uh, One of the the finest sports business books that has been written and one of the most comprehensive, and that's not a joke. I'm not just pumping up Rick Harrow. You can find it at mascotbooks.com or wherever books are sold. All right, Rick, uh, let's go ahead and jump into the 15 and 15. Do it every single week. 15 biggest sports business stories of the week. 15 minutes time, and Rick gives you a full-fledged education before we talk some polo with Luis Escobar. Rick, uh, a chat with one of the most popular, most prominent polo families in the world and let's start with number one it's how we started our show rick here on the boardroom the masters is in the books and now we take a glance ahead to the next three majors here in 2021 tory pines june
2: 17 before that we
0: have kiwa in march they're expecting about 10,000 spectators per day you know the masters we talked about they don't release the number of patrons but it's considerably less than their 50 or 60 thousand they expect and the bottom line is we are opening up with more and more people every single event and clearly the Olympics is a highlight this year and especially so since it's in Tokyo the rumor would be that Hideki Matsuyama becomes the likely front runner to light the Olympic torch in Tokyo
1: that is really really cool uh number two here in the 15 and 15 boardroom presented by the Honda Classic today was part two of your ongoing panel your zoom panel called the comeback which details sports and its return from the pandemic and it looked really good and was very informative Rick
0: Well, I do appreciate that compliment. It really does mean a lot. Foley and Lardner, the big uh, 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 litigation and sports uh, and real estate firm, uh, co-hosted with me Bob DuPay, the former president of Major League Baseball. We had Frank Sapavitz, the former NFL Super Bowl executive, former Indy Mayor Greg Ballard, the head of the Mayor Sports Alliance, L.A. Dodgers EVP of planning, Janet Marie Smith. She also did Fenway, and and she did uh, um, uh, Camden and HKS Global Director Brian Truby, all together to talk about what it means to come back as far as facilities. We're going to have this on a regular basis, third Wednesday in April, and each month we're already lining up May, the new place in Worcester for the Red Sox, which used to be Pawtucket. The Paw Sox, they're now in Worcester, will be, called Polar Park. Larry Lucino, good friend, book contributor, he'll be a star of that show. And I have to take, you know, my wares up to Worcester for the next one of these, which is the day after the grand opening of that ballpark, this is a great series. I love it.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Uh, number three, speaking of baseball, we know it now. MLB has moved the All-Star game from Atlanta to Denver.
0: Yeah, and there are some issues, obviously. There's a little bit of backlash, and a lot of people would say they'd do it differently. But that's life. Everybody says they would do everything differently. At the end of the day, the players probably would have boycotted, and we've got corporate sponsors that are interested in making a statement as well we know that denver is equipped to handle this game because they were the runner-up to la that this le- next uh, next year next year la will be the host of the 2022 event janet marie smith the uh, person that we had on the comeback was instrumental in the design for the new la park so everything is related course field 42 percent of their capacity of 50,000. Will be doing the All Star Game in L. A. the next
1: year. And uh, let's head to number four, Rick. And it, again, it's the Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, fifteen and fifteen. He's Ricardo, the sports professor. I'm Ken Lavica. We knew that Alex Rodriguez had been sniffing around potential sports ownership. He finally has his team, but it's not one we expected. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves.
0: A billion bucks. He'll take over the team with his partner beginning in 2023 sold to Glenn, from Glenn Taylor. Glenn Taylor, by the way, bought the team in 1994 for $88 million. It's kind of a similar deal where Ted Erickson paid $32.5 million in the late 80s for the Heat, and now it's worth over $2 billion. So, listen, it's a great investment. If I had a spare billion lying around, this is the first thing I would do would buy a WNBA team and an NBA team package. A-Rod strikes out to buy the Mets from Steve Cohen. It's a home run on the Timberwolves.
1: Let's head to number five. The majority of Americans are uh, comfortable going to a sporting event, according to a recent poll. However, there are some stipulations to this.
0: Well, yeah. So the idea is that uh, they're comfortable. They'll go. We have to design the stadium in the future. We'll still do that. All 30 MLB stadiums are allowing varying numbers of fans to start the season. Rob Manford telling the AP he hopes to see stadiums return to full capacity by midsummer. So we'll have to see how that all shakes out. And in the meantime, we have more and more stadiums opening up at more and more levels of attendance.
1: 15 and 15, boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, ESPN 106.3. He's Rick Haro, sports professor. I'm Ken Levicka. Number six, the more and more the weeks pass and more vaccinations go into arms, and it looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel. The more we hear about leagues and teams throughout the world anticipating full attendance, full open stadiums.
0: Yes, so the International Association of Event Hosts did a survey of 24 countries all over the world, and 25% tend to host events without restrictions. Most of these entities have not canceled events for 2022 and fully intend to have full capacity events by the end of the year. The only real pushback has been France and Germany and other countries in Europe and they're having some ongoing uh, variant troubles. But more or more or more, it seems to be looking better than it did before.
1: Uh, Let's end to number seven. We continue to try and find incentives to people who get the vaccine and try and help us get out of what has been this nightmare of the last year. And the Cincinnati Reds have gone the route of discounts to vaccinated fans.
0: Yeah, the greater Cincinnati uh, region has a get out the vax campaign, the goal of it getting 80% of the area's adults inoculated by July 4. The Reds are offering $10 good tickets, not lousy ones. If you show your vaccination card as an opportunity to uh, not only get vaccinated, but come to the ballpark, people are taking them up on that. And the the, the Reds are, are playing really well. So at least at this point, those tickets are pretty valuable.
1: And don't think that there aren't going to be other industries that latch on to that because there has been some pushback for vaccine passports. So I would expect that a lot of businesses, sports and otherwise, may be going vaccine discounts to try and encourage and try to make sure that their businesses are safe. Number eight, MLS Next, Major League Soccer's Youth League. It was created last year. It has a series of initiatives that have been launched to combat racism, hate, discrimination, and important standards. And for a league that's used to taking a stand
0: 118 clubs 11,000 players across the U.S. and Canada youth level everywhere committed to cultivating and ensuring an inclusive environment says their release and the MLS next platform offers this important opportunity to increase access and representation getting the coaches and the players united on this it's a really good program
1: 15 and 15 on the board and presented by the Honda Classic. 15 biggest sports business stories of the week. Rick has your comprehensive breakdown in just 15 minutes' time. And you had mentioned Destination Cleveland, and that brings us to number nine. That is the NFL draft. In just a couple of weeks, April 29th is the first run, and Cleveland is spending the money to make sure they maximize the NFL's time and the mistake by the lake.
0: Two hundred fifty grand for image enhancement. They're doing much of the... Uh, the uh uh, graft events around the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, more around First Energy Stadium in Cleveland, and they're also looking at markets to try to say, come to Cleveland, we're open for business as far as Denver, Seattle, and other places, and of course the NFL draft will be a combination of actual and virtual. Roger Goodell will not be in his basement for the whole thing, but I think we'll see a mix this year. The uh, tourism industry in Cleveland is spending the same kind of money they did to promote the all-star game they had in Cleveland back in 2019.
1: In 2023, the United States will defend its Women's World Cup championship in Australia and New Zealand. And for number 10, Rick, we now know the cities and the venues for the 2023 Women's World Cup.
0: I thought people in in Australia and New Zealand couldn't stand each other, but I guess they're going to have to for this (laughs) event. Uh, Eden Park in Auckland will host the opening match. Stadium Australia in Sydney that I was lucky enough to be at for the 2000 Olympics will host the final, and they will have one semifinal each in Australia and New Zealand. The full match schedule will be announced later this year, just another example of the international significance of women's soccer.
1: I tell you what, that might be a nice destination to break the pandemic slump and try and do something big. Uh, That is actually uh, enticing the more I think about it. Number 11, FanDuel has a partnership with various Detroit sports teams. Another sign of the times.
0: I'm thinking about going to the 2023 event. I may need to have someone kind of carry my bags. It sounds like you're registering some (laughs) significant interest, Is that correct?
1: Oh, look how that worked. Excellent. Yeah, sure, 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 Rick. Yeah. Yeah, that's how that works.
0: (laughs) So, all right, quickly moving to FanDuel. They just did a deal with the Tigers and the Red Wings. Uh, Motor City Casino also involved. Little Caesars Arena, Comerica Park, Motor City Casino. All of these venues will be wrapped up in exclusives with FanDuel, And of course, they need to take advantage of Michigan that legalized gaming and is generating significant revenues as we speak.
1: Number 12, a bit of a setback in France where the French Open has been delayed by a week because of COVID concerns.
0: French President Emmanuel Macron hopes to reopen the country around mid-May. He eases health protocols in late May and June, should allow fans to attend matches at Roland Garros. In the 1,000 per day who were allowed from last year's event, Uh, the reopening would see many more millions of euros flowing to the FFT, but they've got to be frugal but also safe. And President Gilles Meriton told L'Equipe the decision was made after consulting with public authorities, governing bodies, and international tennis and his partners and broadcasters. Now I know four words in French, Maritone, Macron, French, and Open. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, th- those were great efforts. You're so worldly. You always surprise me every single week on this show. Uh,
2: I was just about to sneeze, and I think that was the next <laughs> alternative. Sorry about that. <laughs>
1: You adjusted well. Uh, number 13, trading cards, especially sports trading cards, has seen a massive resurgence in the last couple of years. Huge market for it. Topps Company trying to take advantage by going public.
0: Yeah, $1.3 billion SPAC. The special purpose acquisition company TOPS holds the licensing agreements with premium sports properties like baseball, UEFA, Formula One, Bundesliga, NHL, MLS. TOPS saw its sales soar to 367 million last year, representing a 23% year-over-year. What it really means is all of those old trading cards we used to throw out now they're going to be really valuable, and thankfully. A fundraise is happening to save an industry that we prayed wouldn't die and is now coming back to life.
1: They're on the verge in New York as we get to number 14, legalized mobile sports betting. This is going to be, you would think, a money boon for the Empire State.
0: Governor Cuomo says it'll be a tremendous cash, cash cow. The Budget and Taxation Committee voted unanimously to advance the plan to the Senate for discussion. That deal, we're pretty sure, will happen. The devil's in the details. Will there be four licenses, the Cuomo plan? Will there be 13 licenses, other plans? They're talking about readjusting at the end of this session beginning of next session and see what happens long term once they know how this week how this year works.
1: On uh, New Yorkers, I have a piece of advice for you. Bet the under on the Yankees. And finally, number 15 in the 15 in 15 Illinois sports books, they've been rolling in cash since things opened up in July. However, the, for the first time a month over month decline from January to February, but this is part of a national trend.
0: Yes, it is. And before we leave 14, LaVica yet gives another bit of irrelevant gaming advice. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much for that. (laughs) We all have decreased our revenue handle all over the country in February. The bottom line there is that they – ball event, meaning Super Bowl. Pretty sure Illinois will follow New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, the other states. Once we see the results of March Madness – in the April, showing the March results, the numbers will be significant and prolific once again.
1: Though Illinois is about to transition to in-person registration, which I, I can't imagine why any state in their right mind would go that route, but Illinois has decided to, well, go that route. So we'll have to see how big the bounce back actually is. Rick, outstanding as always, timely as always, educational as always, and now we're going to focus a bit on polo. And uh, You have, uh, over the last couple of weeks mentioned polo uh, with the U.S. Polo Cup uh, in Wellington, and you were able to sit down with one of the most prominent families uh, in all of polo, the Escobars, and in particular the patriarch Luis Escobar. Uh, this was a, a really interesting sit-down about a really interesting game that I don't think enough people know about.
0: Well, and by the way, we have the Super Bowl of that uh, 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 sport with all of the economic impact attendant to it, in our backyard this weekend. So we better take advantage of it. It's the back end of the Gauntlet of Polo, Sunday the US Open of Polo uh, at the International Club in Wellington. And we have the Patriarch, at least the uh the existing yes. Patriarch of one of the biggest families of polo. Uh Luis Escobar's father founded the Santa Clara Polo Club in Wellington in 1984 and Luis played on a 20 gold team at just 15 years old you want to know what that is that's damn good and his kids nico and lucas are also players to perpetuate the family so congratulations to the u.s polo assn congratulations to global polo tv and everybody that gives significant amount of impact to wellington and palm beach we don't see enough of it and i'm excited to go on sunday i will have to go out and get my polo garb but you know i'm game
1: yeah, without question, uh, Rick will be uh, rubbing elbows with the uh, with the Polo Society out in Wellington. Rick, awesome stuff as always. Looking forward to hearing from Luis Escobar, and uh, we'll do it again next Wednesday.
0: All right, my man. Take it easy. Stay safe.
1: Riccaro, sports professor. Again, follow him on Twitter at Caro. Read the book, The Sports Business Handbook, wherever books are sold, and mascotbooks.com. Luis Escobar, part of the famous Escobar Polo family, up next on The Boardroom, presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN
0: 106.3. Sports professor Riccaro, inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Really interesting. We introduce and interview a world-class athlete and world-class family Maybe you haven't heard of him if you're not polo enthusiast. The Escobar family, Luis, the uh, patriarch at this point, the sons following in the footsteps of the dad who founded Santa Clara Polo Club in Wellington in 1984. The father, Luis, world-class player playing on a 20-goal team at just 15 years old, and his son, Nico, and his younger son, Lucas, want to carry on the family tradition and beat dad. The interesting perspective on this is these are athletes who are world-class at their sport, world-class businessmen from an international perspective, Argentina for much of the year, South Florida for much of the year. And with US and global polo TV, international worldwide carriage, this becomes a platform for international celebrities, not just in the polo world, but as a major sport. Heading into the U.S. Open of polo, which is timely in April, the Escobar family provides some important perspective. Luis Escobar, one of the foremost polo players in the world, thanks for spending time with me. Really appreciate that. Explain how you got hooked into the sport in the first place.
2: Actually, uh, I started playing polo here in the U.S., in Wellington, at yeah. Palm Beach Polo. In 1978, I was seven years old, my dad came uh, to play at Palm Beach Polo and that's when i first started uh, riding and sticking ball and hitting the ball
0: family's a dynasty we're going to spend some time with your uh your sons in a few minutes too but what if you look back at what kind of one thing turned you on to the sport I assume you're an athlete might have been able to do anything so when did you decide i'm gonna uh, throw my lot
2: in with polo i think of that um, a lot actually we came here in 78 Palm Beach Polo was growing Wellington was growing and I cannot remember one day that I did not like it or I did not want to be on a horse or plane and I was as, as I was growing up we used to come here for the winter season for the polo season back to Costa Rica for the school year and then back here in the winter and I could not wait to get back here so that I could play more polo in Costa Rica, we used to ride and play a little bit, but Palm Beach Polo in Florida was what made me want to be a professional.
0: Well, it also helped that you were playing on a 20-goal team when you were 15 years old. That helped a little bit.
2: It did help a little bit, sure.
0: Yeah, and how does that impact the the training and the laying down the laws or the the uh, the path for your your sons who are clearly taking a liking to the sport? Well, as well? they
2: they need to like it too. Um, I'm only trying to teach them the best things that I know and hopefully they'll pick it up there and make the least mistakes as they go on. It's almost like going to school or going to a karate class or going to a tennis class. You go and you try to learn the best. If you're learning it for the first time, there's a lot of trial and error. But since I've been around Polo that long, I think I can help them that way.
0: We've had shows with Cal Ripken talking about the relationship with his dad. We've had shows with other families. Now, one of those guys is a Heath fan. He won't, maybe he'll admit it on camera, but they didn't, did you push him into polo or did they naturally gravitate into the sport?
2: Mm, I always offered it to them, but I was lucky enough that when they were growing up, there was a lot of kids. And that environment I think helped me uh, keep him um, excited about polo. Yeah, and
0: and is there a feeling that there is a it's a family dynasty uh, with your dad and you and, and and your your guys? Is there a feeling that there's a kind of an obligation or a uh, a responsibility to keep the Escobar name uh, front yeah, and center?
2: For sure, They're for sure, without a doubt, starts from my dad, from me, and. I don't know if it's a feeling; it's a competitive feeling. We gotta be there. We have to win. We have to. It's something I grew up with, and it's now they have to carry it too.
0: Talk about the gauntlet of polo. Uh, Where does it rank in the? uh, You can be political, but it it, it doesn't have to be right at the top. But where does it rank among the polo events uh, every year?
2: For most of us in the U.S., is the number one event. That's where we aim for. If we can play it, that's what we're aiming for. And that's what we're looking to try to compete and win. It's the, the most important tournaments that we can
0: play. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be a polo athlete in your, I was going to say your advanced age, but you're going to hit me. as a As a senior statesman now, as somebody who's a veteran, what's it like staying in shape? What's it like working out? What's it like sustaining excellence?
2: It's a little bit... Uh, in polo we have the advantage that we have the the horses Um, we have to stay pain free which is very difficult at any sport Um, I definitely should be a little bit fitter I'm not as fit as I should be I was fitter when I was younger I guess that comes with age a little bit too it does even at at a younger age you have to stay fit and you have to stay active and and uh, look for your for your weaknesses and try to make them better so that you can
0: it's hard for people that don't grow up with the sport really to relate how do you how do you describe the beauty of it what why is why is polo so so beautiful let's say
2: um oof, many different aspects there's the, the everyday aspect uh, working your horses getting to the barn that's your office uh, making sure that each horse is the horses are the athletes too, making sure that they can perform as best as they can. You want to prepare them as best as they can so that you can get to the field and be as competitive as you can be. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is that the lifestyle and the places that Polo takes you, um, it's, it, makes, it takes you to great places, in not only in the US, but all over the world. So, And you get to meet a lot of people. Um, different cultures, different uh, nationalities, and, and that makes it
1: very, very nice. Dr. Jim Reardon of FAU's MBA Sport Management Program joins me, Ken and next. It's the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 1063. We return here to ESPN 106.3. I'm Ken Levicka, host of Ken Levicka Live weekdays at noon on ESPN 106.3. And it's Ken Levicka Live presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. And I am absolutely honored to have them on board with me with uh this new point in my career—it's been an awful lot of fun, and uh, we are we are getting something exciting off the ground here. Noon every single day on ESPN West Palm, and the head of the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. And this is really the biggest reason I'm so thrilled that the FAU MBA Sport Management Program is the title sponsor is because. The whole thing was put together by my friend for an awful long time, of an awful long time. We're talking a decade now. I've known him through my work with Florida Atlantic. He, for 21 years, has run the FAU MBA Sport Management Program it's Dr. Jim Reardon, and he joins us here on ESPN 106.3. Dr. Reardon, I know we've talked, and I know we went back and forth in the process to try and put together the title sponsorship, but now that the show is off and rolling and things are starting to get into a groove, I think it's just worth reiterating again how appreciative I am that uh, you're uh, you're on board with me, and you've got my back, and it's just a really, really great feeling, and I appreciate you.
3: Well, Ken, thanks uh, very much for the kind words and the compliments, and again, it's great be honest with you guys, uh, when I saw this, uh, this opportunity, um, I said, what a great way. You know, we've, uh, as you mentioned, we've had a great partnership uh, with, with yourself and also uh, Good Carmer, uh, the, uh Brands, the owner of ESPN 1063, and uh, all the folks up there, uh, you know, Mike Matroka, Stephanie Prince, obviously, Steve Pollitzer, Um, You know, uh, a, a great five years, and seeing this opportunity, where someone like yourself, who certainly deserves his own show, um, needs to be uh, out out on the limelight on his his own, Uh, this would be a great opportunity for us to get involved. Um, Although I must admit, um, when I heard Rowitz uh, (laughs) not liking apple pie and ice cream uh, for dessert... you know, um, that's, that's bordering on communism, yeah. I, I would think. Yeah. Um, I, I, I almost pulled the deal, so not, <laughs> not quite yet. But if he, if he starts coming out with his galloping gourmet comments again like he did, uh, we have to watch that. But honestly, it's great to be with you guys, and we're so psyched.
1: And uh, it, really, that that just sort of uh, shows the true nature of the show to this point is that Dr. Reardon has the, the most outraged he's been at things he's heard on the show are the meat takes from either Brian McLovin Rowitz where he would put sauce on filet mignon or uh, he doesn't like uh, peach cobbler and vanilla ice cream and Chris Coquel saying that he puts ketchup on turkey. Uh, so that's that's where th- that we're at right now. That's the point we're at right now. So uh, you are in the, the spring semester. Right now with the FAU MBA sport management program. And it's still, uh, you have some students on campus and again, your facilities, uh, in the business building, the Schmidt family center, brand new on FAU's campus are just immaculate. Uh, and you also have remote learning as well. Uh, how uh, how have things gone so far in spring semester? What sort of things are focused on? What are students being offered and what are they going to continue to be offered come spring semester, uh, summer semester, and uh, fall semester next year as well?
3: Well, Ken, we've, um, throughout the spring, we've given the, the students an opportunity on a first-come, 1st first serve basis, a limited number of students to come back to the classroom and uh, be in front of a live uh, teacher Um Well, I hope hope they're live anyway. um, (laughs) um, So students have have that opportunity to come in and sit there, um, and the teacher is up in front of the room. The teacher has a mask on. um, In our our building, in our Schmidt Center, Uh, there's mostly about 16 seats maximum uh, per class. Um, And then the rest of the students can listen in live on uh, the Internet streaming that we have, the video streaming that we have. And also, can listen to the lecture that's recorded at a later time. Um, we've noticed a trend in the spring and uh, in our programs, in the College of Business Executive Programs and MBA Sport, that a lot of students have elected uh, to stay home and take in the classes online uh, over their computer. Um, some of them still aren't ready to come back yet. Uh, we think that's going to improve uh, as the as the spring ends, and obviously we get into. Some are a little bit same plans for the summer, um, you know, going forward in terms of the fall. Dr. Kelly has indicated that he wants, uh, the, you know, the campus operating at full capacity, uh, so, something to those words. Um, and we're still working on to see uh, what what that means and how we're going to go about doing that. Uh, I don't think we're just going to open up the floodgates and everyone comes running through like, you know, the Texas Rangers opening day with <laughs> 40,000 people. I think uh, that's going to really depend on, you know, the current situation and keeping in mind, obviously, the safety and health of all involved and not just doing something to get it done. Uh, FAU has been tremendous so far uh, throughout the entire COVID situation and keeping people informed and concerning upmost about safety and, uh, you know, making sure people uh, stay out of harm's way.
1: Here with Dr. Jim Reardon. He's the head of the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, and he joins us on ESPN 106.3. I'm Ken Lavica, And uh, last time we had spoken here on air, we had discussed, and you had acknowledged that, yeah, uh, in textbooks here over the next several years, surely there are going to be things written about and eventually taught about management of facilities when it comes to a pandemic or some sort of global situation like we've experienced over the last year plus. Uh, so that being said, the NCAA tournament just went through its pandemic version after missing last year, kept it in the state of Indiana, several venues, and a lot of it was centered in Indianapolis, which also happens to be the home of the NCAA. You, with a background, a a, a very, very intricate background in facility management at some of the, the biggest venues in sports, What did you make of that? What were some of your observations? How do you think the NCAA did?
3: I think they did a a really good job, um, Ken. I think um, when you look at it uh, and people see, you know, they they see a basketball game on TV and they can hear people talk about the bubble, uh, but they don't know the intricacies behind getting the bubble uh, not to pop or not to burst, um, keeping things going. and it takes a lot of people. I've said this before. Um, when you put in new rules and new regulations, uh, to, to keep people in a specific area and sometimes work with less spectators, it's going to take more operations and, uh, game day staff and event staff to get that done. So sometimes you're dealing with less people as we saw, uh, with the crowds and everything at, at the games, but, uh, you, you still need more people to enforce, regulations and the same thing with the players and coaches and staff that were staying in indianapolis i mean indianapolis has a unique situation i'm sure you've seen it uh they have basically five six hotels yeah. that are connected via skyway to the convention center so basically that's part of your that's part of your problem solve right there that you you have a you have a ready-made bubble where you can keep uh, access uh and, and entrance uh to a minimum based on you know checking IDs and different tiers of personnel, um, I, th- I thought it was great. I thought, you know, each team had its own floor in the hotel. They had their own meeting room. Um, they had their, you know, they had uh, practice facilities that were cleaned and scrubbed after each practice. Um, and, I, you know, the big thing is what made it work is the, is the players and coaches themselves. You could put on all the regulations and rules and, you know, requirements and ordinances and everything else. Um, If people that have to abide by them aren't going to abide by them, uh, it's not going to work. It's like COVID in general. You know, if all these people go out and don't wear a mask and, you know, don't socially distance and don't, well, there's there's going to be issues, you know, uh, continuing. But, you know, I think the big thing about the NCAA is that people work together, the teams work together, and I applaud the coaches and the the athletic staffs for making sure that uh, all of the rules and, and regulations were abided to,
1: the FAU MBA Sport Management Program—it is elite. It is one of the tops in the country. It's one of the tops in the world. And I have seen firsthand, and have met so many of Dr. Reardon's students that have gone on to have very successful long runs in the sports industry in a variety of different roles. fau.edu/slash/mba sport fau.edu/slash/mba sport, and yes, that includes plenty in the NCAA, whether it's for the actual organization or for schools uh, within the NCAA bubble. Uh, when it comes to, and I, I promise, I'm not trying to age you here but you have been running this program now for over 20 years how is the sports industry and how is the scope of the sports industry changed from day one to now
3: well um back in the day when i used to confer with babe ruth on a lot of things uh, (laughs) you know about different ideas and such um no um yeah i mean. uh, it, it, uh, uh, we, we came on board here in 2000. I had been five years previously at a school in Buffalo, New York, and that's my teaching career right there. And obviously, and, you know, the, the standard answer, the easy answer is uh, the way technology has come into uh, the realm of not only sports, but of everyday life. Uh, things are constantly improving. Um, the big thing I noticed is that, and, and in terms of, helping students start their careers or continue their careers is the type of jobs that are coming on now. Um, you know, there's more departmentalization of jobs in terms of ticket sales, in terms of corporate sales, in terms of sponsorships. Uh, and, you know, normally uh, back in the day, you would just have one or two people, uh, working those. Now you have, uh, now, now you break it down even further to, you know, group sales to, uh, out of state sales. If you're in a region like Minnesota and you're selling to people, you know the twins are selling to people in three different states. So you have ge- uh, geographical departmentation. T- so a lot of that in terms of ticket sales, and then you have corporate sponsorship. So you're having major major corporations, and then you have smaller companies like us or organizations like us. so there's there's different different areas, again, different types of customers. Uh, now that you know, the departments are being broken down back in the day back back in 2000 You had one person handling every, mm-hmm. everything everything uh, I think now obviously with the invent invent of the internet and coming the coming of analytics There's and we talked about COVID needing more people more specific people to work in facilities uh, They're bringing in uh, companies now are forming their own sanitizing divisions uh, cleaning companies that are trying to sell their services to uh, arenas and stadiums um, you need special people for for that so I think the the biggest change that I've seen in, in addition to obviously the the dawn of the internet is the amount of jobs and types of jobs uh, employment that are coming in and, and, and available for our students and it's great and some of these some of these areas you know I'm familiar with but I learned from the students that want to come here and they they said I've been in this area I've been in that and, you know we talked briefly off of the air about esports you know, students are coming in already, you know, with a background in esports and how they want to get involved in either as, as a player or as a manager or as an administrator, and that certainly wasn't around in 2000.
1: Uh, and so that brings me to this, because if anyone follows sports past just a quick glance at SportsCenter, you're starting to hear things about NLI, uh, which is name and uh, likeness NIL. and image nil yeah see i i'm thinking of national letter of intent no, yes uh, nil yeah name image <laughs> and likeness which is going to transform college athletics and uh here in florida it's about to become law where uh, college athletes can make money off their name image and likeness you're hearing nft which is digital art Uh, which gives you an ability to make cryptocurrency and money off of that. The NBA, with their top shot, has taken advantage of that as well. Sports gambling, I think that we're about five years away from every state in the union having legalized sports gambling. All of those things, how much do you monitor those, and uh, how much do you anticipate that those are going to have to be added to what you do in the FAU NBA sport management program sooner rather than later?
0: No,
3: definitely can, and 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 thank goodness for publications like Sports Business Daily and Front Front Office Sports and everything ki- that we can keep up on on the progress of these uh, uh, of, the, of these new and exciting ventures coming in. Um, the uh, name, image, and likeness. Um, I mean, there's going to be chapters upon chapters later on written in textbooks about it. Yeah. Not so much of the spirit of the law, the spirit of the intent, but the craziness and the wackiness of how getting it passed and getting it approved. Um, and you know, um, in, in terms that they can be applied to student athletes, um, my original thought is let's do a national law, a national, uh, bill that would cover every, everything. Now you're having different States doing it mm-hmm. and it's going to affect the way colleges can recruit students. So yeah, I mean, having different States passing is you're going to have, uh, you know, maybe 50 individual bills that will be common and, in some places but totally different in others so i think we have to put that in there uh, we you know sports gambling uh, now you're seeing it more and more on espn sports center um, on the internet you know there's there's lines appearing you know the under overs um, that's part of the story now um, years ago that was verboten not to you know to speak about that at right. all now now it's it's part of the everyday thing you know major league baseball cutting deals teams cutting deals with the different gambling houses and what have you. So we have to get that in. Uh, We have to look at, you know, what, um, you know, what could happen uh, based on years ago when uh, gambling was uh, uh, under the table and uh, illegal and some bad actors and bad characters got involved with sports. So we have to look at the history there and try not to repeat that as it becomes more and more. I think you're right. Uh, All 50 States will have it. Eventually some are pushing back harder than others. But that has to be part of it, so we have to talk about that as well. That this cryptocurrency stuff is coming faster and faster every day. It's like you know, a, you know, a, a speeding train. Uh, you know, every day you wake up and something new is coming yeah. out. We're looking into doing something. Uh, actually, the the Moore family, Danny, uh, uh, Diane, and Donna are involved in getting us to look and open up and have a, a lecture about crypto coin. not uh, not specifically in NBA sport. But also in the College of Business. Dean Gropper has been involved as well. And we're going to have uh, one of the experts in finance, uh, Dr. Bill Luther, who is an expert in uh, cryptocurrency. He'll be talking about it as well and, you know, to explain the different ins and outs. So we're getting it there. And we have to fit this into a curriculum that, um, in one way, it's unfortunate that it's limited uh, because of the ACSB accreditation. We have to get other areas in, non sport areas such as accounting and finance and you know um uh what have you uh, leadership organizations and everything else um so we we have to we have to get all these areas in with our current sport classes which it means uh, guest lectures by experts that's a lot better sometimes than just reading it out of, out of a textbook when we can bring in a guest lecture uh, on sports gambling on sport analytics on cryptocurrency on nfts um and we can give them to the students for two hours. Uh, they will get to know that and then they can process that information and going forward and
1: we've, we've covered that area. And that is the essence of the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Like Dr. Reardon was just saying, to piggyback off of that, it's not just textbooks. It's not just exams. It's not just, oh, well, sit in a room and here's your MBA. No, it is lectures. It is teaching from people in the industry, first hand knowledge, passing it directly along. It is the best people. It is the best internships. And that's why the FAU MBA Sport Management Program has the sterling reputation it does. And it doesn't end after the spring semester, summer semester course. Get your credits in the summer. Take the MBA Sport Management Program in the summer. FAU.edu slash MBA Sport. And then of course Fall Semester sign up as well. FAU. Dot EDU slash mba sport the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. He is the man responsible for the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, being the title sponsor of my show, Ken Luvick Alive, weekdays at noon on ESPN 106.3. Uh, he is a really good friend and uh, someone that I have a, an awful lot of respect for, and I've seen a lot of people, a lot of folks, make their careers begin their life journeys because he has set them in a position to succeed with the FAU NBA Sport Management Program. It's Dr. Jim Reardon. Dr. Reardon, really appreciate uh, catching up on air with you. I know we talked plenty off air as well, but uh, great stuff, uh, really good insight, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay?
3: Absolutely, Ken. It was a pleasure to be here and uh, continued best wishes with the show.
1: Big thanks to Dr. Jim Reardon of the FAU MBA Sport Management Program and Luis Escobar and family sitting down with Ricardo, the sports professor, talking some polo, and of course, all the goings on in Wellington polo season is in full swing. I'm Ken Levica. More sports business next week, Wednesday, six o'clock on the Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. I'll be back Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time for the only golf radio show in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast, Honda Classic Live. Don't forget the heat and the nuggets coming up tonight, 10 o'clock, right here on ESPN 1063. Have a great night, everybody.